You are listening to the Sermons Podcast from the North Church in Moundsview, Minnesota. For more gospel-focused resources or information about our church, please visit us at thenorthchurch.com. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Proverbs chapter 1. Proverbs chapter 1. If you don't have one, there should be a blue Bible in front of you. And in that Bible, it's on page 527. Proverbs chapter 1. Hear the word of the Lord. The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel. To know wisdom and instruction, to understand words of insight, to receive instruction in wise dealings, in righteousness, justice, and equity, to give prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the youth. Let the wise hear and increase in learning, and the one who understands obtains guidance. To understand a proverb and a saying, the words of the wise and their riddles, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. This is the word of the Lord. As I get set up here, I'd encourage you to keep your Bibles open. We're going to be looking at them throughout our time. I brought along some rocks from Lake Superior because as we start the book of Proverbs, I think rocks and a beach full of rocks can be a really helpful picture for us as we kind of get our minds around what is this book and what is God doing in this book? Let me just start by asking you, have you been to a beach along Lake Superior? One that stretches with thousands of rocks in every direction? If so, what did you do? Did you pick one up and throw it as far as you can? Did you look for the perfect skipping rock and challenge the person next to you to see how many bounces you can get? across the surface? Did you search for agates or look for really cool rocks? Or perhaps you're of the older generation, you received the collection of large rocks and tried to convince people that quality is better than quantity. (laughs) The book of Proverbs and Proverbs in and of themselves are like rocks. Let's just begin in chapter 1 verse 1. It starts the Proverbs of Solomon. Proverbs are punchy sentences which are easy to remember. They often have two lines that either work together or work in contrast. They lodge in our minds and they reveal deeper truths, wisdom. They're basically short little word puzzles that rightly understood yield God's truth. And they're kind of like a beach full of rocks. If you look at Proverbs, the book of Proverbs beginning in verse 10, it's just rock upon rock upon rock, just all sorts of them. And verse one says they are the Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel. Now if you read the whole book, you realize that most of them are written by Solomon, 17 and a half chapters, over 500 plus verses of Proverbs. But there are others who wrote in his stream. 
There's two and a half chapters by people that are just referred to as the wise. And there's a guy at the end of the book named Egger. We don't know much about him. He wrote a chapter of Proverbs. And King Hezekiah, many years later, writing in that same stream, also included a book. And this was written by Wisdom. He wrote it, but Wisdom from his mother. That's just worth pausing. Mothers, your role is so significant. His mother's wisdom was nation-shaping. So when we get to the book of Proverbs, you notice I said chapter 10, and they're written by Solomon, the majority of them. Is he worthy candidate to, to look at? Well, when he came to rule, we can look in 1 Kings and read this in chapter 3, verse 9. When he came to rule, his heart was so humbled that he prayed to God and said, I don't know if I'm able to do this. I need divine intervention. He said, God, give your servant, therefore, an understanding mind to govern your people, that I may discern between good and evil. For who is able to govern this, your great people? And those words in that heart, it says, pleased God. And this was God's response. Behold, I now do according to your word. Behold, I give you a wise and discerning mind so that none like you has been before you and none like you shall arise after you. So truly we can say, who was the wisest man? Solomon. As far as the wisdom and understanding went. And so that's why most of this book is written by him. But this is actually a volume of wisdom. And the reason that I talk about a beach is because Let's just say that you graduated from high school or that you will graduate from high school in a few months and you want to be a geologist and you show up after paying a lot of tuition at college and you sit down in your first class and they hand you a box of rocks and a pad of paper and a pencil and they say, go for it. You might scratch your head and say, I paid all this money for what? And you start to sift through them and understand and make observations and you realize, I need some context for this. I need some help. I need somebody to put this together for me. Well, that is what Proverbs 1, 1 through 9 is all about. And in our analogy of the rocks on the beach of wisdom, it is as if it's a journey, a hike to the beach. It lays the foundation for which we can pick up the individual Proverbs and understand them accurately, rightly. It sets the worldview. And what's really cool is it's like a Deuteronomy 6 hike to the beach. Uh, much of it is a father-son dialogue or a mother-son that says, let me call you to wisdom. Let me beckon you to seek wisdom. Let me give you key understandings about wisdom. Let me set context in places that you may not be yet familiar with. It spends a lot of time in areas like sexuality or other areas that a younger person may not yet have experience or know how to navigate all those things. It lays the context for friendships and much about seeking and pursuing wisdom. Our sermon series will focus specifically on those nine chapters and our men have been studying the whole book. Our women this summer, I believe, will be studying some of the thematic aspects. We may come back to some of those. But what we get in this series 
is a journey towards a preparation for a worldview shaping of wisdom. And there is so much wisdom given to us along the way. So what about this passage? What's our outline for today before I pray for us? Our outline is pretty simple. It comes in four points. In the first, in, in verses two through six, we will see definitions of wisdom and his benefits. It kind of comes in some different parts. So I'll have to kind of help us jump around just a little bit to stitch the things together that most make sense. But in two through six, the first thing we receive is the definition of wisdom and its benefits. It will also include, in verses four and five particularly, it will describe the people and their current relationship to wisdom. And we'll be able to look at ourselves and say, is that me? Do I have aspects of that in my life? Third, it's as if the person who's journeying steps aside and pulls a rock out of its pocket and says, let me show you the first proverb in this book. And if you open up this proverb, it contains a truth that has the bedrock for all the wisdom in the book. It contains the bedrock for the wisdom of the book. So I'm looking very, I'm looking forward to that. And finally, every time we go to Proverbs, we must say, what does this show me about Jesus Christ? If we just read it without the great Savior, the great God-man who sacrificed himself that we might obtain wisdom, that he might take out our heart of stone and give us a heart of flesh, we'll be missing it. And there are certainly some marvelous places to look at Christ in this text. So that's where we'll end. Please pray with me. Father, we need wisdom. As we just sang, be thou my vision. We need you. We need you to come, you to help. We need you to instill in our hearts this bedrock of wisdom as we read in verse seven, this fear of the Lord. Help us to understand what that is and help it to reverberate in our hearts and throughout our lives for the days to come. And God, help us to see Jesus. Would you do that in this opening to this series on Proverbs and into the future? We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So look with me at, please keep your Bibles open. Look at, with me at chapter one, verse two. We're gonna begin with the benefits and definitions. You probably should know though the structure of verses two through six. Using word pictures, it's like a sandwich cookie or a sandwich in general or a hamburger. It has two outside parts or, or a bookshelf with bookends. It has two outside parts, verse six and verses two through three that work together to show us the benefits and definitions of wisdom. And then in the center, it talks about four different individuals. We'll consider those in just a moment. But look with me at starting at verse two and notice it says to know something and then to understand and to receive something. And then verse six, it says again to understand. So we're gonna look at those benefits and definitions to begin with. The first three words of this verse two to know wisdom and instruction. Each of those words is power-packed. To know 
in the Hebrew sense, goes beyond intellectual understanding and includes experience. So it's like a nursing student who listens to lectures, does their labs, and then goes into the hospital and gains an understanding that goes beyond just simply head knowledge. It's experiential. Wisdom is insight in how to navigate God's world, God's way. So you can have experiential understanding in how to navigate God's world, God's way. Just pause and think about that for a second. The designer of the universe is going to teach us how to do life. Do you desire that? Do you see that you need that? Work and rest. What's the right appropriate balance between those? Maybe we should ask the designer. What about our finances? How am I supposed to use them? How does God design this world to work? What does justice look like? Go to the designer. And it's not just knowing it, it's navigating life God's way. This is an amazing gift. This book is full of riches that we are to pursue. Finally, to know wisdom and instruction. Instruction kind of has a hidden surprise in there. Instruction is both understanding, but it has correction built into it. It's kind of like, okay, we need to have a little chat. There are some things that you need to know and there's some things you need to stop doing to move in God's right path. It's what Jethro did with Moses. When Jethro showed up on the scene, Moses was having all the people come to him and saying, just, I will give you your verdicts. And Jethro was like, this is not going to work. The people are going to struggle and you're going to wear yourself out. God can fill others with his spirit. Delegate. Let me not only correct you, but let me give you the new plan. God's plan. That's what instruction gives us. Those are amazing gifts. And those three words will show up again in verse 7. The second benefit, we're going to look at the second half of verse 2 to understand along with verse six together. It gives us five different things that we're supposed to understand. To understand words of insight is how verse two ends, and then it says to understand a proverb and a saying, the words of the wise and their riddles. It's hard to know whether those are talking about five different types of proverbs that are found in this book, Smarter people than me maybe don't think so. Maybe there are all sorts of different descriptions of the same thing. Regardless, they all involve words. And again, we should pause and say, is our God not great to give us his words? Imagine if the all-powerful, sovereign God just sat up in heaven and said, all right, here's the world, go for it. Learn by the consequences that I've set up. I'm not even going to let you know, but you're just going to like struggle and take notes and then the next person will be a little bit better than the next. He didn't do that. He was so good. He has given us word upon word to direct us. But there's also something else very important in these verses for us to understand in our day and age. See, we play very fast and loose with words in our day and age. We stand as the judge and interpreter of words in our day and age. Let me just give you an insight. That is not how God has designed it. 
We are supposed to understand these words. And that word understand means to uncover, to get the meaning of, to find. Eureka. That is how God has designed his words. We are not the judge and interpreter. We don't come with our own meaning. We come to seek his meaning. We come to understand, uncover what he has placed there. It's like an archaeological dig that plays by the right rules so that they can rightly interpret what's already there. If they play by false rules, they're going to make all sorts of funky interpretations and not know what was truly there. We're supposed to understand God's word and then benefit from all this wisdom. And reading this book and these opening chapters will help us to begin to understand how to do that. The third benefit is to receive instruction in wise dealing, righteousness, justice, and equity. Now, if you had any doubts as to whether Proverbs was relevant for today, just ask yourself, have I heard anybody lately talking about desiring equity and justice? I wonder what God has to say about that. Do you think I need to know what God says about that? Wow. Notice again, we're going to receive this. We're going to go to God's word and unpack, understand, uncover what he has said about these things. And, and notice, this is instruction. This is both, let me give you some insight and correct your thinking. Because the way that you are wired as a person, you're not going to think about my world, my way. So let me help correct you. We need correction in these areas. And he's going to give us wise dealings. That word talks about prudence, careful living, or having good sense. So God is going to come along and reveal and help us get his correction, his instruction in these critical areas. And it's very important that we define them correctly. I would just say in our day and age, one of the most important questions you can have to have profitable discussions with others is, what do you mean by that? You can say that in a very nice way. Help me understand what you mean by equity. Help me understand what you mean by justice. Help me understand, and then we can compare it. Well, what does God say about those things? Righteousness is actions that accurately align with God's standard. What's God's standard? God himself. Justice is rendering right judgments, the judgment that God would render. God wants his people to judge like him. He wants them to render his judgments, and that is justice. And perhaps the most important word for us to define in this text is equity. I'm guessing when the ESV put this text together, they perhaps didn't have all the understanding of our modern definition. It's shifted into what it means. This, the word, the Hebrew word underneath here might also be translated uprightness, it means moral uprightness, straight, not crooked. But in our day, equity is all talked about outcomes. It's not having things that people have equal value. It's about everybody getting the same results. 
And we need to be careful about that because only a totalitarian government can truly help a society always get the same results all the time. And that's not God's design. That's not what he means here. He means uprightness. He means morally straight, not crooked. The word is defined upright in the version that I memorized, Deuteronomy 32.4. And it's talking about God's character. The same word is used as an adjective about our God. He is the rock. His works are perfect and his ways are just. A faithful God who does no wrong. Upright and just is he. He is the basis for our justice. He is the basis for our uprightness. Let's look to him. There are great benefits in this book. Just stop for a moment and say, do I need any of that? Well, then come along for the journey as we march into Proverbs. The second thing that we need to look at is the center section of our sandwich, and that is the diverse audience that comes to Proverbs and their need for wisdom. And that's in verse 4 and 5. You can follow along with me. Let me just begin this section with a small disclaimer. Any similarities to real persons or real life responses to wisdom is the conviction of the Holy Spirit and should be acted upon immediately. <laughs> we should see ourselves in these verses. So thought I'd begin like that with that disclaimer. Let's look at chapter 4, the first part of, I'm sorry, verse 4. To give prudence to the simple. You see, each of these four people, the first is the simple, will occur throughout the book. So it's not just important that we know about them for ourselves, but it's important that we rightly define them so that we can understand the rest of the book. Most of us have no idea what is a simple person if we're kind of living in modern day vernacular. Solomon gives us wisdom on this in Proverbs 14, 15, perhaps one of the most clear definitions Proverbs 14, 15 says, The simple believes everything, but the prudent gives thought to his steps. So what is the simple person? The simple is gullible, naive, both led to the right path by the wise and the wrong path by the evil. They are morally like a leaf in the wind without a foundation. They're blown and tossed to and fro. So we need to see actually some benefit here. The benefit here is that they're open to being led. They're not like the fools who want nothing to do with that. They're not like the mockers who mock at that. They're open to being led. The problem is they're sometimes led astray or sometimes they're led to the right and they don't really know how to say, well, that wouldn't be good. They need prudence, which is the ability to discern and be careful which path they take. Now that might describe your whole being, but I, I don't want you to just say, well, that's not me. I want you to say, God, show me what areas I'm simple. This last couple weeks, I've seen a couple places where I've been led astray, like my thinking hasn't been right and God has corrected me and I, oh, I need to think this way. I didn't know that. I didn't recognize that. I was simple in that area. The second group is youth to give knowledge and discretion to the youth. As you might guess, that's an age category. 
that is described many times. It's used as a child in this book. It's also used as a young man in chapter 7, verse 7. So it depends on the context how best you describe that word. Uh, but it's somebody who's younger of age and not yet mature. But I think it can also be described somebody who's spiritually either immature at a certain point, like they're a brand new believer and they're just realizing there is just so much for me to know. There's so much for me to understand. I didn't have all this upbringing help me. Or to somebody who's immature in a certain area, like, oh, I haven't even thought about that area of God's thinking. I, I need to understand that a little bit more. Notice what they need. They need knowledge and discretion. They need experiential understanding because they don't yet have it. And they need discretion. They need the ability to walk the path of life in a constructive way and avoid the lures on the evil path. I love our students. That's the primary group I serve along with their parents. And I often use myself as an example. Of if I, as I look back on my younger years at my youth, there were all sorts of ways that I did not walk the path to avoid the evil lures. I would love for you as our church to pray for our students that they would see and discern and know and avoid. You need to know our gospel is so powerful. Our God makes wise people. Through constant practice, they obtain discernment by his word. So we can pray for ourselves and we can pray for them. We can look for the places where there's immaturity in us and more discernment is needed from God's word. The final two groups I'm going to consider together because the, the, the text shifts here. Look at verses Look at verse 5 with me and see if you can notice it. It's subtle, but it's very significant. Verse 5 begins with the word let. Let the wise hear and increase in learning. And the one who understands obtain guidance. Did you notice how it was different? Verse 5 moves to a much more direct address. That's purposeful. That's in the Hebrew. It's almost saying like, those of you who are wise or who understand, do not become apathetic. Let me raise my voice a little bit. Let me insert these things of command and call you to say if you have some wisdom, you need more. If you have some understanding, obtain more guidance. Don't rest on your laurels. Lean in. The beauty of these four verses, or these four people in these two verses, is that all that are willing to dive in, there are many great rewards. So lean in. We all need this. This is not just for a few select people, maybe those people over there, maybe these five people that come to my mind. No, it's for all of us. Do you see your need for wisdom? Are you willing actually to ask the Lord, God, will you please gently show me where I need more wisdom? He will. We all greatly need it. Well, now we move to seven. And remember I said he pulls a stone out of his pocket and says, this one has within it 
the truth that is the bedrock for all wisdom. Pay attention to this. Let's look at the first proverb together and understand kind of how they work and, and see some really significant truths in this text. So let's go there together. Proverbs 1, verse 7. I'll read it again. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. We often say the beginning of wisdom because it's quoted again in chapter 9, verse 10, and there it says wisdom. So if, if your mind automatically says the beginning of wisdom, well, it's knowledge here, but it's wisdom there. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. So let's begin by noticing that this proverb has two lines and they contrast one another. Let's look at the first one. First, the beginning of knowledge. The beginning of knowledge. That is a starting place, but it is not a starting place like a race where you leave the starting blocks and you progress on. It is a starting place like somebody building a house. You lay a foundation, you start there, you dig a hole, you lay a foundation, and everything else is built upon it. That's the type of starting he's talking about here. That is the beginning. So what is the beginning? It is the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord. One scholar said this is not like H2O, like you can pull it apart and each of it has its own components. It is one unit when it's put together. It is water. It's a mixture of some very important things. The fear of the Lord is one united thing. And let's see what we can learn about it from the text, and then I'll try to give us a definition that we can begin with and, and work from as we move into this book. First of all, it takes place in covenant relationship with God. The word Lord, capital L-O-R-D, is in our English translations the way of saying Yahweh, the way of saying God's covenant name, the name that was spoken to Moses at the burning bush where God says, I am who I am. And he tells him his name. This is a covenant God, a, a God who has joined himself to these people. This is a covenant that Jesus Christ, when he was at the table with his disciples, held up the cup and said, this is the new covenant in my blood. You can relate to God. You can be brought to God through my blood. Trust in my blood. So this is only a type of reality that can happen within a covenant person. Someone that is trusting in Jesus Christ. If you are not, I ask you right now, trust in Jesus Christ. Secondly, it's a reality experienced in the heart that flows out into our lives. We see that in the text as well. Look at the opposite of it. What do fools do? They despise wisdom and instruction. They despise it. That's a heart word. That's an aversion. Ugh! A mouse shows up in your basement and you're like, oh, no, you're not. You're like, ah! Well, most of us are. Uh, I don't want that. Get away from me. Fools do that towards wisdom. Somebody who fears the Lord has the opposite reaction. They're drawn to it. They're humbled by it. We'll see that in just a moment. And it, it moves out into our lives because it has to do with knowledge, wisdom, and instruction. 
It shows up in our lives. So if I were to try to define it, let me just give it this initial definition that perhaps we can help us grow into. The fear of the Lord is the collision in the heart of a child of God between his greatness and his goodness which reverberates throughout our lives in all we say and think and do and feel. I'll say it again. It's the collision in the heart of a child of God between his greatness and his goodness that reverberates out in all that we do. So let's just think about that for a second. Is our God great? We exist to spread a passion for the supremacy of God. So let's just look at the very beginning of Scripture. Just let it sink in again. He spoke and it came to be. When's the last time that you went online and looked at some pictures from the Hubble telescope? Galaxies upon galaxies that he spoke and they came to be. Is our God great? Yes, he is. He sent a flood that covered the world above the mountains. He decimated the Egyptian gods with his plagues. Our small group just read through several chapters of that together and we saw his precision, his power. Our God is great. He descended upon Mount Sinai and the mountain was like inflamed and burning and trembling and loud and clouds and lightning. Our God is great. When we see the greatness of our God and that collides with his goodness and we remember that this same God who spoke galaxies into being created smells and tastes and beauty. Even in the creation account, it's talking about rivers and things being good. And we think about our God who rescued and put Noah in a boat and carried him on top of this flood and preserved life and his creatures. Our God is good. He chose Abraham out of a pagan idol-worshiping community and set him to be the beginning of a new people for himself, giving him a new heart, rescuing him. He's probably in his 70s, firmly rooted in this culture and bringing him into a new culture and helping him have faith. Our God is so good, and I'm only 12 chapters into the Bible. Our God is so good, and our God is so great. And when those realities collide in our hearts as we're reading his word, as we're talking to a friend and remembering his greatness and his goodness, it shows up in our lives. That is the fear of the Lord. Let me give you three fruits from the book of Proverbs that talk about the fear of the Lord. And by the way, a whole sermon could be preached on this, maybe multiple. But three fruits... Proverbs 14, 26 says, in the fear of the Lord, one has strong confidence and his children will have a refuge. So there's this deep trust and rest in this greatness and goodness of God. It very much affects how we deal with sin. 
Proverbs 16, 6 says, by the fear of the Lord, one turns away from evil. I don't want that. I'm turning away from that. I'm taking this path. This is the way of good. It also is often shown in parallel with humility, which makes a lot of sense. When we realize that he is God and I am not, that's a humble heart. Proverbs 22, 4 says, the reward for humility and the fear of the Lord is riches and honor and life. Notice they're right next to each other. The reward for these two realities, humility and the fear of the Lord, they're very much connected. So it's a collision of the greatness of God and the goodness of God that ripples throughout our lives. So let me just ask you, is that collision happening in your heart? Do you see his greatness? Do you see his goodness? And do you long for more of it? This book can give you that. But there is in this second, in this proverb, an opposite reaction. And that is fools despise wisdom and instruction. So the two main things that right off the bat in chapter two, to know wisdom and instruction, fools don't want that. If we look at the parallelism, it seems as if, and I think this is accurate, fools enthrone themselves. They don't think God is great. They don't think he's good. They think they're great and they think they're good. They do not want God's wisdom. They do not want to navigate God's world God's way because they don't think it's God's world and they don't think his way is good. And they don't want, they especially don't want his instruction. They don't want God to come along and say, let me give you some truth and correct you. It's going to become very clear in the next weeks as we look at this book that you do not want to be a fool. If you see foolish tendencies in you, confess them to the Lord immediately. Turn from them. You do not want to stand before the great and good one on the day of judgment who will render perfect judgments and say, I thought I was God. You talk about trembling. When, when the scriptures talk about God showing up and people running to hide in caves, that's why. The fool is one morally. We also need to know that the fool is one morally. And if you look at the parallelism, even though they could amount all sorts of insight into life, all sorts of understanding about certain topics, they have not even begun to pursue wisdom God's way. They haven't even started. There is no foundation upon which to build. Therefore, they must seek the Lord. Their so-called wisdom is not wisdom at all in God's book by his definition. So let me just ask, consider what is your reaction to God's wisdom for navigating life? How do you respond? Do you think it's good? Do you think it's something that you need? Are you willing to allow his thoughts to correct your thoughts and actions? Or are you like, I want none of that? Are there any areas of that in your life? Bring them to the Lord. 
Bring them to the Lord. Why? Well, let's look at Jesus. Let's look at Jesus. This is the best part of the sermon. Let's consider the gospel. Just like the fear of the Lord is the foundation for wisdom, it is the foundation of the gospel. If we do not see God's greatness in our not greatness, our, his holiness and our lack of holiness, then we're going to miss the gospel. We're not going to need the gospel. If, we're not, if we don't see that God is good and that he's offered a way, we won't move towards the gospel. So the gospel is rooted in the fear of the Lord. Notice how sin is rooted in a wrong quest for wisdom. If you were to circle back in your Bibles and look at Genesis 3 verse 6, you'd see that one of the most alluring aspects to disobeying God was this quest for wisdom. It is the same word that we saw in our, in our section of verse 3 to receive instruction in wise dealings. Same thing. Eve and Adam right alongside with her wanted wise dealings apart from God and his authority. They wanted their own wise dealings. They wanted to move into things and do it on their own way and use their own intellect and figure out life as if they were God. It's the heart of rebellion. And it's inside of each of us. Don't you just see that in yourself? God, I don't want you. I just want to control my life on my own. That's a battle that we face hourly. And if you don't see it within you, ask God to show you. That's the problem. What's the solution? Well, it is said of Jesus in Isaiah 11, 1 through 5, that he had a perfect relationship with the fear of the Lord. Just listen with me to the first three verses of Isaiah 11. And there shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and the branch from his roots shall bear fruit. That means that David's line, there was one promise in David's line, and you could look around and you're like, we don't even exactly know. There's all these people. There's no king. What's going on? Well, a shoot is going to come up, and we know that that shoot was born in Bethlehem, and his name is Jesus. And the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of the knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And then verse 3 should make our hearts sing. And his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. Where we despise wisdom and instruction, it is his delight. His delight is the fear of the Lord. And that one that delighted in the fear of the Lord took on the punishment for those who do not. Do you see at the cross the collision between the greatness of God and the goodness of God? The wrath of God was poured out on Christ. If we were standing there, we would not know how to take it in. And it was fully absorbed because he is God. He rose from the dead and was vindicated because he is perfect and he is always delighted in the fear of the Lord. We must run to that cross. We must say, Jesus, I need the new covenant in your blood. I need you to take out my heart of stone and give me a heart of flesh so I can start building on this wisdom thing. I need the bedrock. Do something in my heart so that I want that. Help me to start to begin to see that you are good and that you are great. 
Our response is trusting alone in that historical event. Jesus is our only hope. So that's the beginning, that's the kickoff. My foot has just touched the ball and there is so much more to come. But just begin to start to ask yourself, do I have a hunger for wisdom? Do I see my need for it? Do I fear the Lord? Do I see my need for it? How do we grow in the fear of the Lord? By regularly looking at his greatness and goodness in his word. By meeting with others and talking about the greatness and goodness of the Lord. By adding that to our prayer list. God, grow me in the fear of the Lord. So many good things come out of that. Worship comes out of that. And that's maybe one final area. Worship. I'm going to close us in prayer and then I'm going to just help us get just a, a little context for the final song that we're going to sing that will help us begin to grow even through those words of this last final song in the fear of the Lord. Great God, thank you so much for your word. All sorts of things were coming at us. But God, would you by your spirit work? Would you show us where you want us to grow, where we need humility? God, make us a humble people, eager to come to your word, to uncover it, to see what it actually says, what you've intended, and for, to be shaped by it, to be corrected by it. Give us those hearts. Help us to turn away from evil. God, would you please run after the hearts of the foolish in this place that cross their arms, maybe not even outwardly, but in their hearts are saying, I don't want that. God, please draw them to yourself and cause them to be born again. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Sermons Podcast from the North Church. For more information about our church or resources to help you deepen your walk with Christ, please visit us at thenorthchurch.com.